Got a friend of mine. Rip, potato chip. <laughs> George Trapani. He's an Italian out of Queens. He gives me all kind of good Italian jokes. He told me last time I was down there, he said, Brother Grady, do you know what, uh, what's a good four-letter Italian word for goodbye? You know, everybody thinks it's chow. And I said, what? He said, bang. <laughs> now, if you don't get that joke being New York people, I'm in trouble. I tell jokes like that in Mississippi, and they say, say, what now? Preacher, dawned on me. I never even used that board you had set up for me. I'm telling you, neighbor, uh, this is my, uh, I don't know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, fourth day in a row I'm speaking, and um, i got to go all the way through to uh, 4th of July in Branson, Missouri. So it's, it's going to be a wild time. I love what I'm doing, though. Thanking, thanking God I can do it. And we're going to have a good time. Pastor mentioned Brother Faggard and the Baptist History Tour. The book back there, What If God Wrought, uh, that's the hardest book I have to keep in print with homeschool moms, Baptist history and American history put together. Brother Faggard always would say that that was the first book he read that jump-started him on his interest in Baptist history. And so now he's forgotten more than I've ever learned on that issue. So God's good. Forgot to mention in Sunday school, if you're any widows are in the service, Pastor, anytime this week, Drag them over to the table. They're usually shy sometimes. Half the time, they're suspicious. First time, I, I give free books to widows. First time I ever did this, 25 years ago. Franklin Road Baptist Church, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Sword of the Lord Church. I said, are, are there any widows in the building tonight? And there were like 27 out there, and I got two hands that went up like that. And I said, I want to give away a free book to any widow. And all the hands broke through the ceiling. <laughs> One of the ladies told me, said, they're always trying to take advantage of us, so we're suspicious. No wannabes, though. Have to be a widow indeed. Say amen right there. I had two men come up to me in the last year telling me they identified as widows, wanting to know if I'd give them a free book. If I'm lying, may the Lord smack him in the head if I'm making that up. One of them was in California, which kind of makes sense. Uh, so if you're a widow, please come by and get a free book and just put me on your prayer list. And if you weren't here in, uh, in Sunday school, I have five books there. I'll say more through the week. Uh, any book is $20. Preacher, you could sell your mother for $20 if you wanted to. $19.95. Anybody pay attention to television? Everything's $19.95. If I discounted those books to $15, I would not sell as many as if I kept it at $20. I don't know. Everybody wants to get something for $20. But all kidding aside, three of those books are on Amazon for $30. But I sell them for $20 in a church. But anyway, three for $50. I already sold a whole set to someone for $90. And if you'll use a debit card, that's fine. But uh, that's the stuff that'll keep you going when I'm gone with information. It's like five college courses, one on the King James Bible, one on Baptist history, one on right division of scripture. That's that given by inspiration book. And then one on modern Israel and one on all the conspiracy groups. So anyway, we'll have a good time this week. And now, if you don't mind, uh, anybody remember uh, Queen for a Day, that, anybody that, that old TV show? Well, when I get into a church, Pastor, I'm pastor for a day. I get to preach in someone else's church. I pastored twice in Idaho and Michigan. Brother Donnelly's going to be here, Chuck Donnelly, I guess. He, I met him in 1986 when I started, uh, 1981, when I started my church in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. He was over in Spokane, Washington. We go back a long way. But I uh, love God's people, and I like Dr. Ruckman said, he, he he wanted to be an evangelist, but God made him a teacher, and he hated doing it, but he did what God wanted him to do. 
So I write all these wild stuff that God hadn't even heard of half the time, and I got to travel around the country. Most people want me to speak on the subjects I write about. And if it's a one-night stand service, I can understand that. But when I get a few nights in one church, man, I enjoy it because I go back to my pastor roots. That's okay. Uh, I want to I comfort somebody this morning. We'll get to all the heavy stuff tomorrow night. Uh, but I want to comfort somebody this morning. Last, uh, you all know Bob Parker there in Palmyra. He just took a church in North Carolina, I believe, and moved down there. I preached for him on Valentine's Day this year, Valentine's Day morning. After the service, uh, a man came up to me at the book table. He's a big dude. I thought it look, he looked stern. I, th I was ready to change anything he wanted me to change about my servants. Hey, amen right there. <laughs> but, uh, but all kidding aside, you know, he, he said very seriously, he said, you know, Brother Grady, my daughter died one year ago today on Valentine's Day. She died of a heroin overdose in her bed with two of my grandchildren sleeping next to her. Oldest one was 10. Older one was 10. And this is what he said. He said, I never shed a tear all year until this morning, he said. God came down in that meeting. I mean, you know, when you get an evangelist into a church, if he ever bombs out that many times, preacher, cross him off. He only has, six, seven, has to have six or seven sermons. There's no excuse for an evangelist to have one flat service in his lifetime. Hello. He's got to come up with four new messages every week. I got six or seven. I got a few more. You know what? Somebody asks, well, how do you remember all that stuff? Duh, you just keep repeating. You repeat it in your sleep. Amen. Another man came up to me, and he said, I know about tears. He said, I buried a wife and two children. Three separate incidents. You got any heartaches this morning? Would it be, would it be okay if God tried to help you with it? And you don't, and you, but you better give in to him. He speaks to you. Because tonight it will be on another subject. Pass me not. Oh, gentle Savior. If you have your Bibles, turn over to the Gospel of Luke. I can't believe how many hands went up uh, about people that didn't know me or, or haven't heard me before. And uh, so, I don't know, I might as well give you 30 seconds worth of testimony. I mean, I'm a native New York nut. You know, I grew up, Lenox Hill Hospital is where I was born. I was ground zero during COVID, you know, in the crazy Manhattan there with Mount Sinai Hospital. <clears throat> and I grew up in Upper East Side of Manhattan. Graduate, the most famous Roman Catholic in the history of America signed my grade school diploma or stamped this, had a signature stamped on my diploma. I mean, you know the name Cardinal Francis Spellman. You have a Catholic background. That was my uh, upbringing. And long story short, uh, I got saved in 1974 uh, working in the Philadelphia airport for British Airways in cargo sales. Driving to work one morning, picked up a preacher on the radio at a Clarence Larkin's home church. I'm a dot connector. And second visit I went in there, I got saved. I got listening on the radio, got me intrigued, you know. And, you know, I'd pastor a church in Michigan uh, later on, and those nutty guys up there in General Motors country would not accept my testimony because I was driving a Toyota when I heard the gospel. They didn't think any God could go through a Toyota speaker. Crazy people up in Michigan, I'm telling you. But anyway, so I grew up in three Irish bars in New York City. Ned's the shamrock and the three swans. My mother killed herself on St. Patrick's Day, of all things, when I just finished marching in or being at the parade. 
But the uh, Lord's good. Hey, I had a grandmother spend 30 years in Binghamton Mental Hospital. Binghamton, New York, New York Hospital. Never saw her one day. Don't even know what she looked like. So uh, anyway, my brother spent uh, three years in Sing Sing for shooting the man on the front steps of a police station in Brooklyn. Uh, and then he chased him into the police station with the smoking gun in his hand. Crazy. You know, a guy was messing around with his wife. She got beat to death while he was in prison by some other boyfriend, and then he got blown away by the Miami police for blowing his shotgun through a next-door neighbor's front door for not turning his music down. I didn't grow up in Sunday school. I mean, I had the strict... I make a joke. I, you know, where I went to school, they drove stolen cars in driver's ed class. That's a Rodney, that's a Rodney Dangerfield joke, but I grew up in a strict Catholic's... I grew up in a strict Catholic high school. $30,000 a year if you want to go there right now. So I thank God for everything he's done for me. I'm sure you do with your, how he's worked in your life. But I pastored two churches and been an evangelist now. Taught for Hiles Anderson College for 10 years. But uh, mostly my heart is with the, with the, with the church people. So if you, if you don't mind, I want to borrow you for a few minutes. And I guarantee you, this message never flops. I mean, God's good. Jack Hiles thought sermons were like greasy wrenches, he said. They're meant to fix things. I've been working on this same sermon for 20 years. God's never failed to use it. What does that say? All right, maybe God will help you this morning. When I go to North Carolina, they say, Brother Grady's here to help us. And when I leave, they say, he really hoped us. And so I, I, I'm here to help you, amen. All right, you got your Bibles? Turn over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. All right, and the preacher gave you a poll a minute ago. How many want to sing? I don't know how many want to stand. If I were you, I'd stand unless you're a big giver and you want to just stay seated, amen. Uh, let's stand to our feet and we'll read uh, few, just a few verses, give you a seventh inning stretch. Matthew uh, chapter, I mean Luke chapter number 10, and we'll start reading at verse 38. Now it came to pass <coughs> as they went, Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art troubled about many things. Now in the Greek, it says lighten up. Verse 42, But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Father, we sure do love you. And I pray that you would please honor the, my heart request. You know how I feel right this moment. You said if I loved you, I'd feed your sheep. <clears throat> Actually, you said I'd feed your lambs first. Those sheep be less than a year old. I don't know who's out here, but I know a lot of heavy hearts. Please do something special. Please do something special. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, this is a very important uh, section of Scripture here. How many of you have a Schofield Bible in front of you? Anybody? All right, the little paragraph heading above the Schofield Bible says, Martha and Mary 
in contrast. That's what it says. They're total opposite personalities, right? Martha's running around like a chicken with a head cut off, kind of like the preacher's wife doing, taking care of me with this hotel room. I, I'm, I'm going to be, I don't know how many people I'm going to need to help me carry this stuff into the room that she's got bought for me already. But Martha's running around doing all the things that need to be done, except just for one. Mary's not doing anything on paper, right? She's just sitting there looking at Jesus. And Martha gets bent out of shape about it. Hey, Jesus, tell Mary to help me here. She thought Mary was a deadbeat. Well, the truth is the Lord needed both. What good would it be if nobody cooked the meal? They wouldn't have a meal. But they're different people there, right? Now, the great truth of this message is built on a concept of who you are. How many of you know your ancestry? I mean, you have an idea, right? My, my mother's parents were both from Finland, two alcoholics. Matter of fact, my grandfather beat my grandmother in the head with a shoe in a drunken uh, rage. She died from a concussion not long after that from that, from that blow. But uh, my father's grandfather was born in Ireland. That's where my Grady name comes from, Irish name. But his mother, uh, I mentioned her, she was from the Ukraine. So I tell people, Pastor, I'm 50% Finnish, 25% Irish, and 25% Communist. Say amen right there. Of course, dumb joke, because the Ukrainians hate the Communists. But uh, what does that matter? But long story short, uh, you know your ancestry, all right? I'm 100% European ancestors. Would 90% of you probably be the same thing? No doubt. Okay, now, that means you descend from a guy named Japheth. You ever heard of him? In Genesis 9, you have a good Bible teaching pastor here, so you're probably spoiled. Was there anything else, Pastor? And you probably, <laughs> you know, so you're probably spoiled, right? And uh, Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and they go three different directions. Their descendants do after the Tower of Babel fiasco. Genesis 10 tells you exactly where they went, known as the Table of Nations. I've got quotes in my uh, How Satan Turned America Against God book, the conspiracy book from World Book Encyclopedia, I think 1998 where they lay this stuff out before everything got politically correct now. And, uh, you know, you can't call a man a man if he says he's a woman. Everybody's totally freaking, except Bible believers like me. We yawn through that stuff. The fear of man brings us there. You better not be afraid of them. You better be afraid of God. He's the one that uh, calls the shots. Uh, no weapon that is formed against thee will prosper. But anyway, so they go three different directions. Japheth goes up into uh, uh, Russia off of, you know, the ark settled in Mount Ariat near Turkey. He goes up into Russia and hangs a left. Goes all the way through Europe, over the channel in England, and then across the ocean, the Great Pond, as it was called, to America. And um, the uh, Shem, he goes uh, eastbound and populates all the Asian world and comes around the globe, comes into North America too. He, beats, he pretty much beats Japheth to America, comes in through the Bering Strait by Russia, and, uh, and comes down through uh, North and Central and South America. So your Native American Indians, as they're called, uh, Mohawks up here in New York, they directly descend from Shem. And Ham goes due south onto the continent of Africa. That's why uh, the word Ham means dark or burnt. And uh, Egypt is called the land of Ham twice in the book of Psalms. I'm sure you know most all of that. But the key to this thing, the, the, the big key to all, understanding all of this, is realizing that uh, you got, he, he, uh, in, in Genesis 9, verse 27, it says, God shall <coughs> enlarge Japheth. 
and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. I mean, that's pretty much what happened. He wound up over here and booted the Indians out of their tents. I mean, you know, uh, it's only put in the Bible in the ninth chapter for you to know, because that Bible is pretty dependable. I, I told you in Sunday school, it could be the Word of God. I mean, you know, it's possible, right? But the key thing is that God said he was going to enlarge Japheth. Now, that's a hate crime today, because that's as God picked one of those three guys and their descendants and said he was going to do something with them that he wasn't going to do with the other two. What about that? Bad God. God's a racist. Amen. Well, we know he's a racist because he said in Exodus, uh, he put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And he gave the Jew uh, the ability to make money that he didn't give it to anybody. I gave thee power to get wealth. Do you ever read that verse? Ladies, help me now. Help me. What's the first three letters of jewelry? I can't remember. All right. That's a joke. Come on, start laughing. You're getting nervous because I'm dealing with a racial issue. See how you're getting clammy? I'm only doing this all year round, and this is something you've got to understand because it's a Bible position, amen. When's the last time you, anybody ever been in a pawn shop? Raise your hand. I, I used to live in pawn shops when I was going through Bible college as a student. I pawn my deer rifle every week, amen. Anybody ever see a pawn shop owned by a black dude with a Jew in there trying to pawn his junk on the other side of the counter? Raise your hand. You're not going to see that anytime soon. God gave the Jew the ability to make a dollar. Dr. Ruckman used to say the reason Gentiles hate Jews so much is because Gentiles love money and Jews know how to make it. Uh, his, favorite, his favorite joke was this Jew come into a village and the mayor met him and said, we don't allow any Jews in our village. And uh, the Jew said, that's why it's still a village. <laughs> that is a funny joke. You know why the Jews wandered 40 years in the wilderness? Somebody lost a quarter. Say amen right there. <laughs> Do I have to tell you about the Borscht Belt out here and, this, and, the, and, the, and the Jewish Alps and the, and the, and the, uh, and the Catskills? I mean, come on. You, we're, I'm, I'm one of you people here. I grew up in New York. And uh, Rodney Dangerfield said in his neighborhood, it was so tough in New York growing up, the kids would play in the cement, you know, and they put their hand in the cement. He said in his neighborhood, sometimes they'd feel another hand. Amen. All right, all right. But now the key thing, the key thing, and that goes, that, that, that ties in with the point I'm trying to make here. God said he was going to enlarge Japheth. He was going to do something with Japheth that he didn't do with anybody else. He was going to make him the, the kingpin. By the way, he's called the elder brother, if you ever read that text. You know what a big brother's supposed to do for you? My brother that went to Sing Sing, he'd protect me anytime somebody's messing with me growing up. I used to go to the Rylanders Boys Club in Manhattan. Always some big kid want to pick on me. Man, my big brother was there to take care of business. Now that's what big brothers do. And, and Japheth was going to become the enlarged brother of the three. And the goal was to ultimately get the gospel to the world. That's why the word Japheth means beautiful. Did you know what that word means? It means beautiful. Like cross-reference to Romans uh, 10, 15. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And I, when I got saved, I was working for an airline for British Airways at the Philadelphia airport. But I went to work for them in New York in 1972 when they were BOAC. Anybody remember that old uh, acronym? That stood for British Overseas Airways Corporation. And they merged with BEA that year, in 1972, when I went to work there, and formed British Airways. BEA was the European carrier, British European Airways. And uh, first line of the song, uh, back in the USSR by the, you know, the crazy Beatles. Anybody remember that song? First line of the song says, flew in from Miami Beach, B-O-A-C. What what's this got to do with anything? Because British Airways became the largest airline in the world with that merger. They had more network route miles than any other carrier did. 
which is a holdover from a 19th century expression. The sun never set, sets on the what? British Empire. You know what? I told you the Bible could be true. God said he was going to enlarge Japheth. And you read Genesis 10.1, verse 2 gives you Japheth's seven sons. First one's name is Gomer. Hey, man, what a name. But even a Schofield note over 100 years old tells you Gomer populated the Celtic people. Scotland, Ireland, England. See? That's Japheth. He was the enlarged race. Now, here's a guy that wouldn't know the difference between Japheth and Jay-Z. Amen? He's the top scholar at Yale University. He's, believe it or not, he's still alive. Dr. Paul Kennedy, Dilworth Professor of History at Yale University. That's a, that makes him the top egghead in America, okay? Now, again, secular dude. He wrote a book called The Rise and the Fall of the Great Powers with 1,800 books in his bibliography. I've got three or 400 of mine. That means those are the books he read to write his one book. I mean, you don't get any more egghead than this. Let me tell you what he said about what I just told you from the Bible. In the year 1800, Europeans occupied or controlled 35% of the land surface of the world. By 1878, this figure had risen to 67%. And by 1914, to over 84%. What about that? Maybe the Bible's true. Maybe God was going to enlarge Japheth. And maybe your eyeballs can tell you if, you just are, if you're awake. Now, Harvard is the competition for Yale. The egghead over there is Paul Samuel Huntington. He wrote a book called The Clash of Civilizations. He lists 14 categories where Western... And by the way, the reason you need to know this, you know why you need to know this? Because it's coming down your alley. It's called critical race theory. Have you ever heard of it? You can't... Look, some Christians play dodgeball their whole life, especially preachers. They're scared to death of these subjects like the lost world is. The race card, everybody jumps. It is a Bible position. When you, when you, push, when you attack what you, white people for white privilege and, and white, white power and white this and white that, listen, that's an attack on God. He said the Europeans were going to be the folks that were going to run the world one day, and it was ultimately get to, to, to get it energized spiritually to get the gospel to the world. I mean, that's who, who, who sends more missionaries out than America and Britain used to, and now it's America. That's the plan that God had way back in Genesis 9. And the Christians are scared of their own shadow 24-7. That doesn't honor God. This is, a, this is an attack on the Word of God when people do this. Now, here's, here's a, a Harvard guy. You think he spends much time in the Bible? Here's the 14 categories, he said, that Western nations control the world. Number one, they own and operate the international banking system. They control all hard currencies, are the world's principal customer, provide the majority of the world's finished goods, dominate international capital markets, exert considerable moral leadership within many societies, are capable of massive military intervention, control the sea lanes, conduct most advanced technical research and development, conduct leading edge technical education, dominate access to space, Dominate the aerospace industry. Dominate international communications. Dominate the high-tech weapons industry. And then again, that's, that's just major categories. There are hundreds of minor categories where Western people run everything. They say, can, can they do everything? No. Anybody ever see the movie White Men Can't Jump? Raise your hand real quick. No, I shouldn't have said this. It was probably insensitive, preacher, but I put it in this book anyhow. 
I said, white men can't jump, but they can build computers. Something wrong with saying that? You're not ashamed of that, are you? By the way, that's a pretty prophetic cover, the devil grabbing that dome, isn't it? That came out in 2005. I think this broke out in real time in January. By the way, a preacher, they think preachers are as dumb as we look at the time. We're not necessarily as dumb as we look. Can I, can, I make, can I show you something cute here? Here's the last chapter of the book. It's called The Little Bitty Baby. How many of you remember Mahalia Jackson's song, uh, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands? Remember that? Well, that's how I, you know, it's a scary book, how the devil's got this country by the throat tonight. It's true. But uh, I try to calm everybody down at the end because, you know, the Lord's in control. He's got the whole world in his hand. And the title of my chapter at the end of the book was Little Bitty Baby. Now, here's the second to the last page of the book. Now, if you can explain this to me, I'll give you every book on the table, and I'll throw the table in for free. I don't even own the table. <laughs> all, all you've got to do is explain this to me. I mean, I don't understand it. First time I ever met Dr. Ruckman, I went into his uh, visit his home when he's on the Pensacola campus, you know. You know, German flag in the yard, scripture signs hanging out of the shrubs, you know, right in the middle of PCC campus. And, and we're talking in there, and he starts pulling books off his bookshelf, his commentaries. And he's turning to different things and said, where'd this come from? Where'd that come from? I don't know. Stuff he wrote. God's funny how he does that. But here's the quote, ready? From Osama to Obama, the Lord's got everything under control. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. Now that's a pretty cool little cutesy statement, right? From Osama to Obama. So is that what you want us to explain? No. I want you to explain the copyright page, 2005. Our heads are spinning so much you may not realize that's three years before the Obamas moved into the White House. Where did that come from? I'm not going to tell you. Magicians don't tell how they do their tricks. How many of you know why Italians make good magicians? They make people disappear just like that. Amen, brother. All right. Now, all that to say this, I told you an Italian joke before about the hand and the cement. Well, here's the, here's the joke that ties in with. It's a good New Jersey joke. Uh, how, how do you break up an Italian wedding? Huh? I can say that again. Tie their hands. That's funny. And uh, no, somebody yells the cement's here. Okay. <laughs> if you know anything about construction, you understand the joke. And what does that mean? The Italians run the cement, the construction industries in most big cities. Who doesn't know that? And, uh, you know, that's how it is. Some of these nutty, pious Christians didn't like Trump running for president the first time. They said, we hear he has connections with the mafia. How in the world are you going to build a skyscraper in Manhattan without knowing what palm degrees? What, are you crazy? You want Jimmy Carter or Bill Clinton back? A couple good Baptists? Amen, Brother Green. Christians are about as nutty. Mahatma Gandhi used to say, I would have become a Christian had it not been for the Christians. Amen. But, uh, but all along here, God said he was going to enlarge Japheth. He's the, here's the point. Japheth's the builder. He's the builder. Excuse me for breathing, but what is the, uh, what is the slogan for America? Bigger is better. My house is bigger than your house. My car is bigger than your car. I make m more money than you make. My wife's prettier than your wife. Are we on the same page here? Uh, that's how it works. Paul talked about it in 1 Timothy 6, supposing that gain is godliness. From such turn away. That's how Americans think. That's how you think in the back of your mind. 
and, 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 and growth is, and here's the key word. See, in a story, Martha's like that. She pictures that, that, that trait. Shem is pictured by Mary. Shem is opposite of Japheth. Uh, God shall dwell, Genesis 9 says, God shall dwell in the tents of Shem. Uh, uh, Japheth shall dwell in the tents of Shem. But, but no, it says before that, it says, bless, after that it says, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Uh, Japheth is the materialistic, building, growth, expansion person. Shem is totally wrapped up in spiritual matters. He's a religious person. He doesn't care about outward things. And uh, do you know, while the Europeans, our ancestors, were worshiping polytheistic, multi-faceted uh, gods, the pantheon, and they wanted to make Jesus a god, uh, the emperor there at the time of the crucifixion put him in the pantheon with all the other gods, you know? Uh, that's how Europeans were. But the three largest monotheistic religions of the world have always been Shemite uh, religions, Shemite people. Judaism, uh, even, um, even uh, crazy Islam, and Christianity that, was, that came out of, they were called Christians first, in Antioch, over in Syria, right? So, anybody remember uh, Kung Fu, uh, Grasshopper, remember him? That's Shem, look. Yule Gibbons eating a, eating a tree, me and a tree are one and the same. Look, that's Shem. He doesn't get excited about anything. That's Mary sitting there. And Martha's running wild. She's representing Japheth as a, as a type. <clears throat> now, what's that got to do with anything? 99% of you folks are Japhethite by, by heritage. That means you're an aggressive person by instinct, a builder. And you choose, and, and listen, you, you uh, gauge your success in this world most of the time by what you can see you've accomplished. That's how Americans are. God's the one who made us that way. That's normal. You know, preacher, I tell this to I'm preaching in, when I'm preaching preachers' fellowships last, uh, last June. I was right down the road down here. In a brief, that's where you and I met and hooked up to book this meeting. I tell preachers, to the, I tell the preachers, that you guys are Japhethites. But you know what your problem is? You forget that your boss is a Shemite. You ever see the bumper sticker? I work for a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. And Jesus was not a Polak, he was a Jew. You know what that means? He thinks differently than you do. Didn't Romans tell you his ways are beyond finding out? And you have no idea how the devil trips you up day by day because of that difference right there. You gentlemen, <coughs> A Japhethite, the key, to, the, key con, the key idea of about a Japhethite, the thing that it runs his engine, is pragmatism. Pragmatism. Whatever it takes. The ends justify the means. Isn't that what wrecked Christianity by a guy named Billy Graham, who Bob Jones Sr. said he had a lot of fruit in his ministry, but his methods destroyed the orchards for the future generations. He wanted to get more people to preach to, so he'd start yoking up with all these liberals, the Catholic priests, everything, to help him get bigger crowds. That made sense to his japheth brain, but it blew, it, it blew the whole thing out the window. I've got two photographs in this book right here of Billy Graham. Number one, in North Carolina, getting an honorary doctor's degree. There is a picture 
in a, in a Roman Catholic monastery, Belmont Abbey. Could you see John the Baptist being honored by the Catholic Church tonight if he was running around anywhere? Here's the other picture. I was down in Hollywood last year, uh, two months ago. There's, uh, the, there's Billy Graham's star in the cement, and he's kneeling down in front of it with his wife. You know what the L.A. Times said? And Charlotte newspaper said the same thing. He was the first of his profession to be so honored by Hollywood. First preacher Hollywood ever wanted to honor. Would they, you think they would have given John the Baptist a star? They would have put him in the cement. Say amen right there. Billy Graham started something. It's, it's just super japeth, I think, in pragmatism. You men, what do you give your wife on Valentine's Day or, or on her birthday? I'll tell you exactly what you give her. You give her a stinking sorry toaster. A four slicer, amen? Because you're tired of waiting for your toast. <laughs> am, I, am I shooting smoke here? Because you know why a man is practical. He's pragmatic. The woman's like Shem. You know what she wants? She don't want a stinking toaster. She wants a dozen roses. Because it doesn't make any sense. They'll be dead in about seven days, six days. Man's saying, why throw the money away? You started that when you'd buy your sister a baseball glove for Christmas. If she don't use it, I'll use it. <laughs> you got to get this down. It has everything to do with how Satan plays with your mind. I've only been preaching 46 years. You don't think I have a, think I have a hard time coming up with a sermon? Spurgeon, the greatest preacher that ever lived, said, I don't have a problem getting a sermon. I have a problem picking, picking one. So I'm going to pick the ones that I know God uses. Brother Legault, I preached this sermon at his church last year, and the Lord used it like you wouldn't believe. I mean, it's just a great truth. That's why. I want God to help you. But he helps those who help themselves. You've got to, you've got to play ball with the Lord right now. And here's where, here's where I'm going with all this. You're a Japhethite, and you think that way in your head. But boy, it kills you spiritually. You know why? Go read about the judgment seat, Mr. Japhethite, and I'm one of you. Every man's work shall be tried. You ever read it? Of what size it is? Of what sort it is? God doesn't need anything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> okay, you all with me? Now, what's this got to do with anything? Everything. Anybody in here crazy enough that you like golf? Raise your hand if you're not ashamed of it. Who likes golf in here? Well, throw them out. <laughs> One kid over here, throw them out. I hate golf. You know why I hate golf? And I never play it except I get dragged out on the course by some pastor who wants to have fun. You know why the main reason I hate it? Because of the dudes coming up behind me watching. You know, you know what I mean? Well, I don't know what I'm doing with getting this turf. And, and they're up there laughing, you know. I hate that. I'll be honest. I have kicked the ball. You know, when nobody was looking at least once or thrown it at least once, maybe twice. <laughs> I have. And I don't care about getting a low score. I don't care. I just don't want to. I want to get ahead of that dude. What? I'm trying to stay ahead of him so he can't watch me make a fool out of myself. But somebody, and I always, some guy in, in Indiana is always taking me out there. Long story short, life's like a golf game. Front nine, back nine. That's your, that's your life. Watch. Let's get down to the front nine. Here's the beginning of your life. You know, first hole, you're in, you're in diapers in the nursery, maybe. But around the second and third hole, beginning of your life, here's, here's, here's what characterizes the beginning of your game. Look, look. One idea, ready? Dreams, goals, aspirations, 
Ladies, what do they call that little casket at the foot of your bed? What's that called? Hope chest. How many of you ladies, when you were little growing up, said, I hope I grow up and marry a chainsaw killer? <laughs> Anybody like that? We'll put you in a mental hospital where my grandmother was. No? You want to marry Prince Charming, right? Young men, I want to, I want to succeed in business. I want to make something of myself, right? And then about, about the third, fourth, fifth hole maybe, young man gets saved and called to preach. A young guy, he starts thinking about the ministry, winds up in Bible college here about hole seven maybe. And he's, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go to New York. Everybody always wanted to go to, when I was in the Bible college back in the 70s, everybody wanted to go to New York to save New York. Blah, blah, blah. You know, you know what I mean? I'm going to build the biggest church. You understand? That's America. Everybody in this room started out that way. Unless you're retarded or something. I don't You're thinking of success. That's how we're made. But don't forget, he doesn't think that way. Go read Isaiah 66 sometime, verse 1. God says, you're going to build me a temple? Watch. You can't, this, is what, this is what's in the Hebrew. You can't see it in the English. Look, you're going to build me a temple? <laughs> I use the earth for a footstool. Well, I'm sure that'll be a nice temple. That's a Shemite up there. That whole Shemite personality almost is a reflection of God's nature, probably. At least his son came through this world as a Shemite? Now what's that got to do with anything? Now let's go to the end of the game. Let's go to the back nine and the end of the back nine. Let's go to hole 16, 17, coming down to the end. I don't remember growing older. Is that all there is, my friend? You know what this, you know what this section of the game is characterized by? Ready? Reality, yeah. adjustment, acceptance. Hey, um, ladies, if you're married to a guy sitting next to you for any length of 30, 40 years, right? Take a look at him. I don't want to be ugly like they say in North Carolina. I don't want to be ugly. But that's the best you're going to have. <laughs> that's it. It ain't going to get any better than that. Sorry, Mrs. Dunbar. Amen. <laughs> Are you all with me? Pastor, this is a beautiful building, but I don't know if you'll ever pack it out. Like Oliver Green would have if he come through here in the 60s. I don't know. I pastored two churches. I know what I'm talking about. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Were you here in Sunday school? You can't change what the book tells you. But you know what's, so, you know what's good about that outline? When it said, evil men shall wax worse and worse, the very next verse says, but continue thou. Mm -hmm. You don't quit. No. You, just, you just function. My mother committed suicide. The same reason anybody commits suicide. They lose hope. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You need a special dose of something from God to stay forward for God when you're living in an area where you, a time zone, when the, if, you're in the right, if you're in that time zone, you can't turn it around. It takes a special soldier to deal with those conditions. Now, what's this got to do with anything? And by the way, you know when they cheat in golf? I, I know when they cheat. Nobody cheats in the first few holes. They start cheating back here where the pressure starts building. <laughs> the rabbit and the hare. Anybody ever remember that? Or the rabbit? Now, who was it? Yeah, who, who were them two dudes running? The, the, slow, the turtle and the hare, right? Remember that? Tortoise, yeah. Okay, now watch. 
<laughs> you're saying preach? Now look, the folk, 80% of the room here apparently doesn't know me from Adam's house coat, Adam's house cat. See, these, these meetings are starting to build up. Where do they see the, I'm preaching for Tim Young the last Sunday night of this month. I'm going to come in like a, you know, walking dead ministry. But, um, but uh, what you've got to see how this works is very, very simple. Very simple. All along that trail, because God is the kind of God that He is, a Shemite, you want to know what He's done through this period of time? I'm going to show you what He's done. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. You see over there in Luke, Mary learned a great lesson. She learned that she was important and what she was doing mattered to the Lord, you know. But she also saw the Lord stand up for her. Isn't that, interesting? Isn't that nice? God stood up for Moses against his own sister. And uh, wouldn't you like the Lord to step, step up for you? Now, because she got encouraged with the Lord dealing with her there with her sister, she takes it up to the next level when you get to Matthew 26. Here, her name is not given. But even the Schofield reference note says, Jesus anointed by Mary of Bethany. You read the other accounts in John and Mark, you can put it together and realize it's Mary, of, you know, the sister of Lazarus. Just like in Luke 11, although the name's not given. All right, can you trust me on that? Now, read verse 6 with me, and you have no idea where we're going. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came a woman unto him having an alabaster box of ointment. Is that what it says? Hey, an alabaster box of precious ointment. Is that what it says? It says an alabaster box of very precious ointment. That man that I met last year on Valentine's Day in Palmyra, that, that daughter that committed suicide was precious ointment to him. Very precious ointment. And poured it on his head as he sat at meat. Now, boy, when she did that, the whole room filled up with that aroma. You all know enough about the Bible period to know that. I remember Brother Dunbar, I spoke for Dr. Ruckman, I think, four different times at his blowouts. One of them I can't remember, I, but I took my wife with me on all of them. We flew in one time and got to the air, uh, baggage carousel, and they had the strangest smell all over the baggage area. I worked at an airport. I know what it, airports are supposed to smell like, and then not like that. And then we went on down the uh, you know, hallway through the terminal, and it was all over the place. What the, I thought I was in San Francisco. Say amen right there. Got out to the curb and got into the vehicle Brother Ruckman sent over and was in the vehicle. If you told me this story, I wouldn't believe it. Went on down to the hotel, walked through the hotel lobby. It was all over the place. It was in the elevator. I'm not making this up, neighbor. We got into the room, jumped through the suitcase up on the bed to open it up, my wife's suitcase, and there was the big old perfume bottle that had burst or leaked or something, and the perfume was all over the place. No worry, she had six more trunks coming down the hall. Don't tell her I said that. Do not tell her. No, my wife's not like that. Only five, amen. Okay, but that's what happened here. Beautiful aroma. Now, I want you to watch this. Oh, you know, here's the thing. I started saying something before and got distracted. I said, most of you don't know me. 
My, by, by Wednesday, you're going to be screaming, don't leave. I, I understand I must go away. America needs me. But you'll, you'll learn to like me through the week, but you've got to get used to me. My sermons are always the same way. I build and build and build and then have the knockout punch at the end. And everybody says the same thing. I go like this, look, no idea where I'm going and I land right here. That's my style. That way, that, you know why? Because the Bible says buy the truth and sell it not. You have to pay to learn something. No Obama money in the ministry. Uh, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. Okay? But, all you, but I tell enough dopey jokes to keep your attention. Uh, they asked Spurgeon, what do you do when people fall asleep in church? He said, somebody should wake up the preacher, amen. I mean, it's my job to keep your attention. And uh, one guy was falling asleep one time on the back pew, and the preacher got mad. He yelled over to the guy sitting next to him. He said, wake that guy up over there. And the guy yelled back at him, you put him to sleep, you wake him up, amen. <laughs> okay, so that's my job. <laughs> hey, sit down back there. Sit down. <laughs> Nobody standing up. Uh, Jack Howes taught us stuff like that, <laughs> preaching to 5,000 people, holding everybody's attention. Look at the buzzwords now. Look at the buzzwords coming up in verse 8. Ready? We're going to your problems and your tears. Remember that. Verse 8. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation. Now, Judas is the troublemaker. <clears throat> if you go back to John, you'll see that. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste. You see those two buzzwords? Purpose. Japhethite thinking. Pragmatism thinking. Purpose driven church. Purpose driven life. Preacher, I was just out there preaching to five churches in Los Angeles County a month ago. They told me Saddlebrook Church out there owns more property than any other outfit in the whole, whole county. California. You see that second word, waste? That's the key to the whole sermon tonight. That word waste. What purpose is this waste? Boy, I'll tell you what, that was a pretty important thing that lady was doing. But it sure looked like waste, didn't it? He poured down his body on the ground. What's the next verse say? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. You think Judas gave a flip about the poor? Look what Jesus said. <clears throat> when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. See that verse 8, it's this waste. And in verse 10, it's good work. Those words both end, start with a W. From, from the earthly perspective, it looked like a waste, didn't it? But from a heavenly perspective, it was a good work. You know, Charles Spurgeon, uh, uh, for, for you have me always, but, you, but verse 11, for you have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. Back mentioning Spurgeon a minute ago, he was on a train once uh, riding in first class compartment. And some Pharisee minister come up to him, said, Mr. Spurgeon, I ride second class and save the Lord's money. Spurgeon said, I ride first class and save the Lord's servant. Hit the road. That's what Jesus just said. I know the poor are important, but you're not going to have me always. Look what he says next. Verse 12, for in that she hath poured this ointment, notice these words, on my body. She did it for my burial. Picture of his soon to be death and resurrection, which the apostles didn't even understand themselves. Luke 18, I don't know how much she knows, but she's doing something as the Lord is leading her to do it. 
Now, is this an important sermon to start the meeting with? I don't know. You tell me. What verse 13 say? Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. Pretty important to God. So what's the story here? How does this apply to you? Here's how it applies to you. Because God is a Shemite and you're a Japhethite, you're on two different wavelengths. And by the way, that's why we're supposed to read our Bible. Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If you don't get his brain in your head, you're going to be in trouble because your brain's Japhethite. It's wired the wrong direction. God doesn't want you to be lazy. God wants you to be aggressive. He doesn't want you to compromise just to get results. That's why Bob Jones Sr. had to check Billy Graham's ministry. What did he say? A famous quote. All of you have heard it. Uh, it's never right to do wrong, to get a chance to do right. But that's how Japhethites think. All that matters is the end result. That's how we think. That's American DNA. Now, here comes the shock. Ready? Um, whoa. Praise the Lord, I got a piece of paper. You know what God does in our life? Every one of us has experienced it already. I'm just trying to give you some biblical perspective so you can start figuring out how to deal with it. Because he's not into growth like you think he is. <laughs> in other words, preacher, he's not holding his breath to see how, how big you're going to build this church for him someday. He's wanting, he's wanting to build you. He's wanting you to build them. He'll take care of whatever growth he wants. But in the last days, the saved people themselves aren't going to pay attention to the truth. What do you think the lost people are going to be doing? We've got to deal with all that. But let's, we're talking about you and your tears, ready? You know what God does in this 18-hole golf game of your life? You know what he does? Along the trail... He factors into your life, sometimes at whole five, sometimes seven, sometimes eight and ten, sometimes a whole lot of holes. You know what he does? He factors in some pure, 100% unadulterated, ready? Waste. Just waste, man. <laughs> Stuff that doesn't make any sense. Church splits that might have been prevented. If he'd have let you see something that he chose not to let you see in time. That teenage daughter that's going to be a mama someday because somebody didn't catch the night she was with somebody. Anybody home? Did you have a, you have a husband or wife leave you? Did you have a health issue head out of nowhere? Did you have a financial disaster that you caused by your own dumbness like I've done in my life? Wasn't thinking about something and bang it hit. Anybody misrepresent you on some stupid Facebook thing now? Slandered your testimony, your good name with something? How much time you got? Can we make a list a mile long? Do you know that God was behind every single one of those incidents for one basic reason? Greatest sermon I ever heard in my life. I think Jack Howells preached it. He wouldn't know right division from a right hook, but he sure knew everything else to help people's lives. Jack Howes, one time, I worked 10 years for him, he drew a circle like that, and he put a dot in the middle of the circle, see it? 
and he, and he drew an arrow coming into the circle, touching the dot. See? Three points. You know what he said? The circle represents God. And if you're saved, you're the dot. How many times you read in the Bible, you're in Christ, you're hidden God, in Christ. It kind of blows over most Christians' heads. But that's where you are tonight. You're in Christ. And you see that arrow coming at that dot? That's the so-called negative things that have happened in our life that we think kind of are hurting us, causes the tears, the waste. Y'all, y'all say it? Here's a, how are you going to get any more elementary than this? You know what this teaches right here? And that, that's coming from the devil in our brain. You know what that's teaching right there? The devil can't touch you without permission from God because he's got to pass through the circle to get to you. And isn't that the oldest book of the Bible telling you that in the first chapter? The book of Job, the first lesson of the Bible on the earth? Have you considered my servant Job? Nobody like him in the earth. Yeah, you got a hedge around him, the devil said. Take that hedge down and let me tear him up a while and we'll see what he does. And the Lord says, yeah. He said, yeah. He said, okay, go ahead. I'll take the hedge down. And Job had his whole life turned upside down just like all of you have had. Hey, I didn't want to lose my mother at 11 years old living in stupid Manhattan, going to a Catholic school. Now, I never saw a Catholic Bible one day in my whole Catholic life, 22 years, much less a King James Bible. My mother killed herself right in front of me. I mean, overdosed with pills, drinking pills, water pills. I love you, Billy. I just said, no, you don't, Mom. If you did, you wouldn't be doing this. That's our last conversation. And then she fell down in a coma. And I dragged her into the living room of our, from the kitchen of our house. My nine-year-old sister running around screaming. I put her body up on the couch, and I baptized her with the same glass of water she was drinking the pills with because she was a Lutheran. I'm strict Catholic. I couldn't get a priest there. I was more worried about her soul than I was her body. I never read that verse, fear not those who can destroy your body. Fear rather those who can destroy body and soul. I never read it, but I understood the idea. I delayed calling the ambulance until I could take care of her soul. I, I, I'm telling you, neighbor, that was a big disaster in my... You have any of those in your life? The whole room's filled with them. Excuse me for breathing, but they, they call this the hedge principle. When the Lord keeps a hedge up around your life for a period of time, there's nothing Satan can do to touch you. But when he says, it's time, every branch in me that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. God wrote that song, has got Alzheimer's tonight. Patch the pirate. When the Lord takes the hedge down, there's nothing you can do to keep the devil out from coming in. You just got to take it. But here's the key. When that stuff happens, that's when the devil convinces you that you're a big loser because it interrupts production. It interrupts forward motion in your life and all the things that you think are successful traits and it just blows it all to pieces. Preacher, how many could you be running in your church tonight if you just crossed off the last two to three splits you might have had. If I'd have only, yeah, if I'd have only. If I'd have, hey, let me ask you a question. That teenage daughter that got pregnant in the backseat of that car, could a policeman have come by and stopped that from ever happening? Could that have happened? Did it happen? No. 
Well, who's the one responsible for deciding if a policeman came by or didn't come by? You know what this will do to you? This will change your life right here because this will explain one strange verse that most Christians have a hard time with, especially when their daughters commit suicide, overdose, I mean, in a, in a bed and spend the night next to two little grandchildren. They can't handle one verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. I wonder what everything means in the Greek. Does that mean that baby that died of yours? I mean, that wife of yours that ran off with the milkman or whoever it was? Did you ever thank God for that? I wonder what God meant when he had Paul put that down there. In everything, give thanks. You know why you're supposed to thank God for everything? Because he's in charge of everything that's ever happened to your life. You don't thank your employer for a paycheck. You've earned it. But you thank the employer for a bonus turkey that he gives you. Thanksgiving that he didn't have to give you. You thank, you thank people for what's been given to you. And you're to thank God for everything because he's ultimately the one that decided whether you got that or not. Sometimes he brings it in directly to chasing you when you're being bad. Sometimes it's Satan messing with you and he wants to get glory by letting it hit your life like Job and he allows it. But it's always his hand that permits it. I never preach this sermon, preacher without hearing the light bulbs humming through the whole message. That's because God's always working. He's always working. Don't sit there and wonder, oh, and if somebody thinks it's funny about me, he's think the person next to you is thinking about their problems. Jesus was called the great physician. And when he sends his preachers out, we're supposed to do our jobs in his place. He's the under shepherd in the absence of the Lord. Try to help you with your problems. Now, what's that God do with the price of eggs? Let me tell you one example. I was in South Carolina a couple of years ago, and I'm up on the platform there, and the pastor says, Brother Grady, uh, I just want you to know we had a tragedy in our church uh, last week. And he kind of let me know where a couple was sitting off to the left. And a uh, young married couple, last Sunday night, when the church, this was Sunday night, a Sunday night a week earlier, they all went home like everybody did. And uh, next morning they got up to get their teenage children ready to go to camp. June, you know, a boy and a girl. The girl was up and ready to go. They went into the boy's room and he wasn't going anywhere. Broke my heart. On the platform I heard that. Sitting out there. Did I tell you about... Tuscaloosa, Alabama last two weeks ago. Did I tell you about that in Sunday school? There's a man sitting out here, 95 years old, on the aisle. You heard of John Wayne movie, The Fighting Seabees? He was a real fighting Seabee, survivor of the Battle of Okinawa. Buried his wife on Wednesday. I mentioned this in Sunday school, I think. Buried his wife Wednesday, sitting in church Sunday. Tough guy, old school. This couple sitting over here, young couple though, not from that World War II generation. Man, I got out in the Sunday school, I mean, out in the lobby after the service. I'm at my book table, but I couldn't wait. My pastor instincts got me, and I couldn't wait to talk to them. And all I tried to do was comfort them. I didn't care about book sales. And you know what I told that lady? I told that lady the strangest thing out of the Bible about that story when they stole the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines, remember that? But they were getting judged from God, so they wanted to get rid of it. And they sent it back to Israel, remember, on a wagon. You all know that story. 
But then at the last minute, somebody's penny-pinching Philistine said, wait a minute, we send that back, and we find out later that it was just a coincidence. The word they use is chance, that all this stuff was happening. We're going to send that back with all the money we're actually piling in there as well, the jewels, like, you know, paying them some interest for having it. We're going to send that away for nothing. And when it wasn't God doing this at all, how do we know it's God judging us? Maybe it's a coincidence. You all remember that? So they came up with a little game, a scam. They said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll get a mama, two mama cows called milch kind, and we'll harness them to the wagon, take their babies and put them back yonder behind them. Israel's that way. The babies will be that, that way. And we'll let them go and see what happens. This is the story I'm telling this dear mother who just lost her 12-year-old son. And they turned those, ox, those mama cows loose, you know, and they went straight for Israel. The idea was, if it was not God involved, what would they do? They'd U-turn back to the babies. But they went straight to Israel. But you look the verse up. I'm, I'm cutting out for time this morning, turning to it and letting you read it. One of the most amazing passages. Uh, man, the greatest insights you'll ever get to your wife. If you've got a good woman, if you've married up, I married up on steroids. And you need to appreciate how your wife thinks. You know what that verse says? It said they went straight for Beth Shemesh, ready? Don't miss it, ready? Lowing as they went. Back and forth. The babies and the mamas. Two different strains. I preach in Texas a lot. Those ranchers can explain it to you if you don't know anything about cattle. Preacher, I, had a, I preached in Missouri the other day. There was a lifetime rancher sitting to my right. When I preached this, you know what he said after the service? He said a lot of older ranchers don't want to admit this, but a lot of them retire early because they can't handle the weeding process. It gets to them as they get older. They've learned even to put a fence up after they're weaning. Let the mom and the babies be able to at least see each other rather than immediate separation. And I told that Mama back there, that God was proud of her. She's pulling that wagon for God, being in church the next week after her son went into eternity. But God said, it's okay if you low as you go. She's crying in her heart. But they're pulling. You got a wife like that that's being faithful, men, with despite heartaches in your old family history, and especially with children? Now, let me ask you a question. When that mother went to get that little boy ready for, for church and had to cut him down, instead of everybody's at the camp that week and they're at the morgue that week, don't you think there was a little voice speaking to her? What purpose was this waste? Did it make any sense? In other words, when, when you have something hit you, you can't figure it out because you're a Japhethite and it's contrary to pragmatic marching on to victory, <laughs> supposing the gain is godliness. Doesn't make any sense. You're going to hear a little voice. What purpose was this waste? Preacher, you've been in this business a long time and not a lot of time when Christians just say, if that's what this is all about, I'm tired of Christianity. And out they go. But some of the folks don't quit on God. They stay in church, but they stay as wounded people. God help them. God help you if you ever ask them half the time how they're doing. Uh, they'll tell you. Am I right? I don't know. I don't know everything. I quit the airline business over, over a half, almost a half a century ago to spend time trying to learn this job. I learned a few things. 
Are you with me, neighbor? What purpose is this waste? Now, here's the, here's the deal. You know what the whole purpose of this sermon is this morning? To tell you what the purpose was. You know, I was saved 40 years before I figured something out. You know what I figured out after 40 years of being saved? Anybody ever read the Bible before? How many ever read the Bible? Come on, I'm just cutting up with you. You ever read through the Old Testament? If you wanted to communicate with God, you did it through a sacrifice. I mean, Adam and Eve hadn't sinned five minutes when there's an animal dead. They give him coats of skin. Hello? Noah gets out of the ark. What's the first thing he does? Offers up a sacrifice. You know what happened to those two mama cows? They got sacrificed when they made it up there, finished their task, never did get to see their kids. Now, you want to hear something holy? Trust me. I got three kids, 16 grandkids, three up in heaven. I've got the, the grandkids on Facebook with earrings, you know, nose rings like you, some of you do. I've got heartaches like you do. But I know this. I know this. You want to get close to God? The way to get close to God is a sacrifice. You want to know what a sacrifice was? And still is. When God takes something that's perfect, like very precious ointment, something that's valuable, pure and perfect, as it can be, and then has you destroy it. <laughs> is that right? I mean, is that what happened when they have a sacrifice? I think, isn't it? They burn it up. First they cut the throat, spill the blood, get my book on Israel and see how much blood was spilled when they dedicated Solomon's temple. I got it figured out with a Texas A&M professor. I think preacher, I got it in there. I can't remember. Probably about, I don't know, 100 uh, fuel tank trucks of blood. All the number of animals killed. It stretched a couple, I don't know, a mile and a half, just trucks bumper to bumper, just with blood. Did you ever think about that? When God deals with your heart in a service, where do you go? Do you go to an altar? To take care of business with God? Is that what they call those little steps? An altar? Now watch this. Did you ever notice every time there's a sacrifice, pretty soon you're going to read something about it, especially like there in Noah's Ark, a sweet savor goes up? Is that what happens when you go into the tabernacle? Then the temple? Sacrifices out here and on yonder in there, right before God's throne is that incense altar. Would you like to know why God brought waste into your life? You know why? He wants to smell nice. Go read Song of Solomon, chapter 4, I think. I'm cutting scriptures out because it's Sunday morning. If I preach this on Sunday night, i got a little more time. I'm not even having you turn to the scriptures. I'm just shooting them out to you. Anybody know that's what God does? He has fragrance. He smells nice. The Lord just said, you're going to do this service, this sermon, and injustice if you don't show him at least one verse. Because he wants to smell nice. I don't know. I, I, hey, the first girlfriend I ever had dumped me on a New York subway platform. Mary Kay Walraven. Amen. She's from Alabama. First girl I ever kissed. I shouldn't tell you that. First girl I ever took on a date. I took her bowling. Amen. And uh, she dumped me. She dumped me on a subway platform. I don't know why she did. I was a, I was a good boyfriend for her. Uh, Song of Solomon. 
Let me just read you one verse. I, the reason I brought her up was I still remember the perfume she wore. It was heaven sent. Anybody ever remember that? <laughs> heaven sent. Oh, I thought I was in another world. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Song of Solomon. Oh, I, know, I was looking for something else. Psalm 45. Let me just read it to you. I'm about 90% done with this message now. I'm well past third base, heading to home plate, but that's where everything's going to have a collision there in a minute. Psalm 45, verse 8. All thy garments smell of myrrh and alloys and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. Okay, here we go, neighbor. Here comes the sermon. You know, the Lord wants to smell nice. And what he's done for you is, when he's brought that waste into your life that looks so counterproductive to you, wherever it's taken place, and thank God sometimes he gives us more than just one spot and several places, you know what he's doing? He's giving you the opportunity to give him something. What do you give God? Anybody have an old-time father? You know, like my, I used to ask my dad growing up in New York, what do you want for Father's Day, Dad? You know, he always said the same two things, razor blades. Anybody ever have a dad, Gillette Blue Blades? Remember those days? Or socks. You know, go to Grant's or Woolworth's. Ten cents a pair of socks. He, he, a, man, a dad doesn't want anything. That's what a preacher is called a minister. The son of man came not to be ministered to, but to minister. We don't shake hands like this. We're here giving out to you. You have a dad like that? Well, he's the heavenly father. What, what are you going to give him? Remember, you're going to build me a multi-trillion dollar temple, Solomon? Cool. That doesn't move God. You know what God wants? God wants cologne. And he gives you the ability to give it back to him. Remember God, your parents would give you money so you could buy them presents. You'd buy them the presents with the money they gave you. Now look, here it comes. I'm, I'm coming down to the dramatic ending. And if this doesn't impress you, act impressed or I'll be depressed. Okay, you ready? Got to take my glasses off. For she hath wrought a good work on me. Is that what it said? Did I tell you about those three words? She put it on my body. Remember, we, I had you pause and look at that. Matthew 26, leave her alone. For she hath wrought a good work, what? On me. Along the trail, have you had some waste in your life? Watch. Look. It's just carpet. Don't worry about it. the janitor committee. I don't know. Brother House said a... A camel's a horse put together by a Baptist committee. I don't know who's in charge of the carpets, but look. Just, it's just water, look. This is your life when God's taking stuff out. Look. Waste, waste, waste. You, you got it down in your mind? Why'd he do that? Here's why. You know that waste in your life? God intends that to be his cologne. If you'll let him have it. Ready? What did it say? You got New Year's Eve resolution? I want to lose weight. Forget about it. That ain't going to happen. I've been at this too long. Anybody will tell you that doesn't happen. Forget about it. Here's a good New Year's resolution. Ready? Ready? I want to get closer to God this year. Isn't that an easy one to think about? Who, yeah, this is June. You go back and retroactive start over again. Mid-year resolution. I want to spend the rest of this year getting closer to God. We, we should all want to get close to God. But can I ask you a question? Ready? Here's the whole, here's the everything I want to give you in one little picture. Ready? Can you get any closer to God than this? Ready? Huh? How about it? Where, where did Mary's waste go? 
Can you get any closer to being on God's person? Anybody want to get that close to God? The only way you get that close to God is you've got to take your waist and let him have it. Because that's what his cologne is. Excuse me for breathing, but those unsaved people we talked about in Sunday school that won't come in here, but that understand these worldly expressions, they got this eye down. They got this sermon idea down just like that, and they're not even saved. Can I start the expression and you finish it? One man's trash. Another man's treasure. <laughs> Your waste is his cologne. That's how he's got it set up. But you got to take it to him. I'm not talking about the phone call in the middle of the night when you learn. I just went to a lady's funeral in Arkansas last week. She's sitting down there with her husband, Ken, Ken and Suzanne McFadden, 70-something-year-old evangelist couple, pastor one church 40, 50 years in Arkansas. They're sitting in Mobile, Alabama, preacher, at an accident scene, sitting in their own car. Look, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, he's patting her on, her on her knee saying, Honey, I love you. She says, I love you. Ten seconds later, a truck rammed into their bumper in the back, killed her right there, broken neck. I just went to the funeral. That cologne is only going to work for God if you give it to Him. Every, it always starts by having it have the thing in our the precious ointment of our lives yanked out of our life. We're not going to instigate something that's going to break our hearts. We just have to learn to adapt and adjust to it. Look, but that's what they talk about dropping back and punting. Catching your breath and then going on. Mary brought her precious ointment to the Lord. Say, preacher, how do I do that? How do I bring my precious ointment to the Lord? It's that Bible verse. In everything, give thanks. I've only been at this half a century. Christians don't thank God for the biggest heartaches. They just learn to live with them. But they never thank God openly for them. And that's what God wants you to do. The moment you do that, he gets the cologne. But I'll close with this. Another verse I won't even have you turn to. One of the strangest verses in the Bible. Does it talk about your tears are in a what? There's the bottle. They're up there in heaven. Look. There they are. Your name on the bottle. I mean, did you shed tears when the waste took place? I bet you did. I'm looking at my mother's body in the casket at the funeral home the Saturday morning after the visitation. Donovan's funeral home on 2nd Avenue, 90th Street, Manhattan. My dad spent the entire night inside the funeral home with the door locked, sitting by my mother's body with a bottle of scotch in his hand. Now I'm there, and we're going to put the body in a train and send it to New Hampshire for burial. And it's our last time with our loved one. <clears throat> Just about five, eight of us, six, seven of us, my sister and a couple aunts. Look, that's nobody here. And one by one, we come up there for the last moment. You ever been there? I'm 11 years old, Roman Catholic. You know what I did? I took a little funeral card, you know, in memory of, you know, how they have it at the visitation. And I felt so stupid, preacher. I kept looking over my shoulder. I didn't want anybody to see me do this. And I had never read that verse when Jeremiah said, we're coming back from captivity. I'll prove it. I'm going to buy some land to show you I believe we're coming back. I never saw that, but I understood that principle. And I leaned over when nobody was looking, and I said, Mom, I don't know how you're going to do this, but one day you're going to give this back to me. And I stuffed it into the casket. 
I don't know. I have nothing else to hope for, no Bible. But let me tell you, neighbor, my tears were flowing. You know where those tears went? I don't know. Maybe it's just figurative writing God gave us, and it's not like that. Who knows? But he wanted you to see it. He put it in the Bible. Yep. Imagine if your tears, every one of them collected in a bottle someday up in heaven. You know what I think that is? I see that as God's little cologne bottle. And here's the key to the sermon. Ready? Your tears are up there too. And here's the key. Let me, let me, let me tell you something. God is not a Calvinist. What does that mean? He wants that cologne. Watch me, neighbor. He wants that cologne like this. But he's not about to take that bottle and open up that lid without your permission. <laughs> Let that sink in. I've only preached the sermon like 20 million times. God never fails to use it if you're listening. You understand? He wants the cologne. Mary poured it all over him. And that's what made him smell so wonderful. And it was considered waste by everybody else. Look at the waste that's been in your life on paper and realize God knew all about it and he wants it to become his cologne. But it won't be transacted without your permission. You got to say, Lord, go for it. It's all yours. How do you do that again? Thanking him in everything. Give thanks. For this is the will of God. I'll, qu I'll quit with this. I preached for a black preacher one time in South Chicago. He's one of my students in evening college when I taught at Hiles Anderson. And he had a big old black church in a terribly scary neighborhood, though. And I tell you, it was packed out that morning in Sunday school. I taught this in everything, give thanks. Then I went in the pastor's office right back here. And we came out 10 minutes later to start the morning service. And right before I got up to preach, he said this. He said, before Brother Grady comes to preach, he said, Sister Anthony is going to speak, or is going to sing. And uh, this, this black lady stood up in the back, big old hat on her head. And she said, Brother Pastor, before I, I sing, can I say a word of testimony? This is 25 years ago. And he said, well, sure. Sir. I still remember what he said, preacher. He said, say on, Sister Anthony. And then this is what she said. And the tears started streaming down her face. She said, I heard Brother Grady's Sunday school lesson about in everything give thanks. She said, it's not easy to thank God when your 16-year-old baby daughter gets drugged down a back alley in Chicago, hanging out of a car, head bouncing on the cobblestone bricks, and dumped at the end of the alley and left dead in a drug deal gone bad two weeks ago. He said, but, she said, but after Sunday school, I got downs on my knees. And I thank God for it for the first time. And then she walked along the wall up here, and we're all going. And she got up and she said, this morning I'm going to try to bless the church in song with a hymn entitled, I'm Coming Up the Mountain. On the rough side. And then we all blacked out, preacher. I don't know what happened. The big preacher showed up. I preached on something after that, but... You got any cologne the Lord wants this morning? You know what the biggest waste of all would be if he never gets to use it? That's the waste. Don't hang on to that heartache. Tell God all, that's what that man told me. Hadn't shed a tear in a year until that morning. 
You're just as real as he is. Your burdens are just as real to God as his was. Oh, and by the way, you know, I don't know, a year ago I went through that South Carolina neighborhood to preach in another church where that young boy hung himself. And I got a text message when I got to my hotel from the daddy. Can you believe that? He didn't even know I was there. Only God can do these things. I'll read you his little text message and I'm done. He said, um, Brother Grady, you took your time after the service at, and he names the name of the church and the town, to speak to me and my wife. Just wanted to let you know the words you spoke to me and my wife after our 12-year-old boy committed suicide has helped us more than you will know. Here's the part I want you to get. We continue to pull forward that wagon. And the next word is all in capital letters. L-O-W-I-N-G. Lowing as we go without our sweet boy. Thank you for taking the time to help us. You know, God's as interested in you as he is in that couple. Amen. Here's the deal. How many, how many got tears up there tonight it's, and the lid's still on the bottom? And here's God tonight. Look, this morning. I sure hope somebody let me open a bottle this morning. That is as real as real is. And that'll really work. Let's bow our heads for prayer. And let's stand to our feet. Closing moment of invitation. I don't know if you have a piano during invitation time or not, but let me ask you a couple questions. Say, preacher, it's longer than normal. Yeah, I know, but the world's coming to an end, though. You know, you know the world's coming. Did you know that? It's coming to an end. We'll be in eternal bodies one day, but no, I'm just having fun with you a little bit, but my heart's poured out to you this morning. This is my pastor instincts, okay? How many say, preacher, I enjoyed the message. I learned some things. It was a blessing to me. If you get ready to, uh, 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 Mrs. Dunbar, if you get ready to play, when I'm done, I'll have a little prayer. Then I'll, when I finish praying, you can start. Neighbor, listen now. Just think with me just for a moment. We've all had heartache, right? But who would say, preacher, I didn't just enjoy the sermon, and I've had my heartaches, you know. But the Lord, I prayed before I got here for the Lord to speak to hearts, you know. I don't sell books with this sermon. And, and, and Brother Dunbar, when I have several nights, a lot of times I wreck my own meeting by preaching this first because it never gets any really higher than this thought from this message, you know. It's all kind of downhill after this message. But I can't wait to throw it out to the people. I can't help myself. I may say, preacher, I, love, I like the message. It helped me, but more than that, God really zeroed in on my heart, and only, as only I know, He can do so. And He said, you know, I've got some, I've, I've, you've, you've got some cologne that I want to use. And He made you understand the message, and He personally dealt with you about some waste, as you've seen it, and it's not as, and you thought it was counterproductive, and the devil beat you over the head with it. And it's the greatest thing that could happen to you. God was behind it, because He wants to give you something that you can give to Him. And you know at this invitation moment, he's really speaking to your heart. Would you be willing to acknowledge that to me and the Lord with an uplifted hand, nobody looking, God bless you and God bless you and God bless you and God bless you off to my right. God bless, who else? God bless you. I see you, ma'am. And God bless you in the back. Listen, is this a hard thing? I mean, is there anything wrong with wanting to give God something? What's wrong with that? 
Who would say, preacher, I didn't raise my hand with these others. But there was something else in the message really had nothing to do with your direction. And God so snuck up on me and only he and I know what it's all about. I didn't raise my hand with the crowd. Dealt with the message. It, mine was some other need that he met this morning that I want to take care of today. Would you count me in this invitation? May I see your hand too? God bless you in the back, sir. Anybody else? Anybody here not sure that they're saved on this 44th anniversary service? Raise your hand if you're not sure that you're saved. Anybody like that? Well, you know what I'm going to say? You got three steps down here, right? What do you call that again? I forget. Is this your altar down here? Wouldn't that be a beautiful place to meet the Lord this morning before we go home and maintain your old-time religion uh, culture in this church and come on down here and do two things. Tell the Lord he can have all the cologne he wants, but mostly tell him thank you for whatever that waste was that he brought into your life. He just wants to smell nicer, that's all. Somebody said, what's your sermon title for the PA room, guys? I said, God's cologne, God's cologne. Father, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts now. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and the music's playing. And let's have a good closing imitation before we get into some of the heavier material this week. Would you come? Hands were all over the building. Don't freeze up on the Holy Spirit now. Here's your all to use it, or you're not going to have as good a week as you could have. That's it. That's it. Man, God just says, can I have some cologne? It's just the creator of the universe that wants something. That's all. Did you ever read what David said in the Psalm, Psalm 8? When I consider the sun and the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art even mindful of him? God would pay you or I the time of day. What a shock that is. That's it. Enjoy yourself this morning. You might get the same peace that that dear man got in Palmyra Valentine's Day.